0: Genesis 41, so this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over, all my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And he took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went through all the land of Egypt, During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it. It could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Petiphora, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the name of the second, he called Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, and what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, To buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Thanks, Allison. All right, let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be gathered together uh, today in this room to celebrate, to remember the giving of your spirit. And I ask now that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would be present here in our hearts, in our minds, opening our eyes to see you uh, and your works and your goodness uh, and your providence clearly do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let us see the world um, as you see it. Let me pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So, there's a famous parable about a preacher that you may have heard. There's a preacher in a town, and there comes a giant storm, and the waters begin to rise. And the storm turns into a flood and the preacher goes out on the front door of the church and he gets on his knees in the middle of the water and he prays for God to rescue the town and to rescue him. And He's praying and praying and the water is rising and along comes one of his constituents, one of his congregants in a rowboat, in a canoe. And The guy says, preacher, get in. You need to be saved. I'm going on. And the preacher says, no, no, God will save me. A few hours later, the preacher's still praying and he goes up into the balcony of the church because the water is rising and he's praying and another person from the town comes along in a speedboat and says, preacher, get in the boat. Uh, This is your last chance before the levee breaks. And the preacher says, no, 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 I trust in God. He will save me. The water continues to rise and the preacher gets on the roof and he goes up the steeple and he clings onto the cross and he says, I'm waiting for God to save me. And all of a sudden, a state trooper flies by in a helicopter and says, preacher, get in the helicopter. This is your last chance. And the preacher says, no, I have full faith in God. He will save me. And predictably, he perishes in the flood and he stands before God and he says, God, I, I trusted in you. Why didn't you save me? And God, of course, says, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more could you want? Right? It's a great story. It's a great parable. There's a lot of various interpretations of this. But there's, I think it highlights an important truth from our story in Joseph today. And that is that God very often works through human effort. That the provision of God and the providence of God comes in various forms, specifically through humans, through us, Right, the story of Joseph being the story of God fulfilling his promises in surprising ways. And one of those surprising ways, maybe most, the most surprising way of all, is that God actually invites us, me, you, human beings, to help him bring about the good purposes for the world that he wants to bring. That we are not some sort of passive recipients of his promises, but we get to be active participants in bringing them to fruition. We're not cul-de-sacs of God's mercy and grace and power, but we actually get to be conduits of it. And that's, to me, uh, very surprising because human beings are idiots and often misuse power. And if I was God, I would be like, I don't need y'all, morons. I'll do it myself. But no, that's not what God does. He invites us to share in that. So my goal today from this story, obviously there's so much here that we're not gonna get to, but what I wanna highlight is and hopefully have you see or ponder, is that God has given you power and that he invites you to use that power to participate with him in bringing about renewal in, in the world. This is our third final sermon about providence. See if that slide there. Bruce. Um, two weeks ago, we, or three weeks ago, I talked about providence through the presence of God. And then last week, Jeremy talked about Um, providence through God's illumination, the way that he brings revelation and illumination to people, and that's one of the ways that he gets gets his work done in the world. And today we're moving on to the third category here, which I've just decided to call power. Today's appropriately for Pentecost, we want to talk about how God uses his power in the world. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you three observations from the story about power, and then three applications for our life. Um, that match up with those. Before we do that, though, I want to just define power. What is power? I don't know what you think of when you hear the word power. We live in a a time that's fraught with power in various ways. Uh, The dictionary defines... You always go to the dictionary, right? The dictionary defines power as the ability to act or produce an effect, control over outcomes. Um, Another definition says, the possession of control, authority, or influence over others... We tend to think about power in terms of having influence over other people. Andy Crouch wrote a book, a great book called Culture Makers, and he defines power in the world, cultural power, as the ability to successfully propose a new cultural good, something good in the world, to bring something about. Right? There's, we all are bringing new things about. We have a new food, a new idea, a new business. The ability to bring that into fruition is power. And simply living in our world, power is required. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed, living in the world requires power. And some of these are obvious things that we think about. Right? We think about political power. It's very obvious when someone makes a law, that's power, the ability to bring something about. I have power over my children because I can literally pick them up and put them in their room. So that's a kind of power. Think of powerhouse football teams, right, that just can inflict their will on the other team. That's like the language you'll hear on TV. Right? That's power. War is power. The ability to say, send this missile into Ukraine, that's power because it happens. People holding the cards have power. You are a person who does hiring or firing. These are common types of power that you might think about. But power also operates in all of our lives in many subtle ways as well. Having the benefit of the doubt is a kind of power that we wield over people. Having someone's trust is a kind of power in relationship with that person. Having respect or being the one who has attention, right? I've used this illustration before. I'm up here right now. If someone else started talking, it'd be harder for them to get your attention because I have a microphone. That's a kind of power. It's subtle, but it's power. The ability in this room or in our church even to propose new things to happen for our church, certain people are going to have more success proposing new ideas for our church than others. That's different levels of power. There's always power in communities. There's always power in families. There's power everywhere. And if you've been around Redeemer uh, for any length of time, you've heard me talk about power. We talked about power in the book of Mark. We talked about power in the book of Esther. We talked about power in the book of 1 Peter. And the main message, I think, that I've probably communicated repeatedly is that power is dangerous. It's one of the big three, right? Money, sex, and power, the three things that are dangerous to your soul, dangerous to the world. Power is dangerous. And we have this difficult and uncomfortable relationship with power, especially in our kind of cultural moment. Political power is being grasped for, conversations about gender and about race. These are power conversations, Who has power? Who should have power? How do we get power for those who don't have power? All these are power conversations, and they're complicated, and we, I think, at least I am very pessimistic often about the way that we talk about and think about and interact with power in the world, and the scriptures repeatedly sort of offer a kind of warning that power can be dangerous, and all that's true, but reading the story of Joseph over the past couple of months, and especially in this section, uh, there's just, I've, come to a, a, not a new perspective, but a different perspective that I want to offer on power this afternoon. Um, And that's this. I'm going to offer these three observations. Here's the first observation from this text about power, is that power comes from God. Power comes from God. right? This is a unique feature of reading the Joseph stories, that no matter where he goes, he's like a power magnet. He like can't seem to not have power. He like he gets in Potiphar's house. He's a slave, and two verses later, he's like running the house. And Potiphar's like sitting in his lazy boy eating Doritos while Joseph runs around and runs the whole house. Somehow he's a slave who has power. And then, this thing happens with Potiphar's wife, and he goes to prison. And what happens in prison? He ends up running the prison. And it basically says that the the guy who's running the prison like goes on vacation, and Joseph runs the prison. He thought somehow he has power, and then he gets forgotten and. Then he gets remembered, and that's the part of the story that we didn't read here, is where um, the person who he interpreted the dream for uh, ends up remembering him, saying to Pharaoh, hey, I remember this guy that could interpret dreams. He gets called up, interprets Pharaoh's dream, and all of a sudden again, he has power. That's the story we read here. He's like this power magnet, and every single time, all three of those times, the power that Joseph has is attributed to the Spirit of God. In chapter 39, verse 3, when he's in Potiphar's, house. It says in verse 3 or verse 2 the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, and in verse 3 his master saw Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. Right? If power is defined as being able to cause things to succeed, then it was the Lord that gave power to Joseph in Potiphar's house. And then at the end of chapter 39 when he's in the prison verse 21 but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord gave Joseph the power. And then this story that we read for chapter 41 in verse 48. 48. There's a lot of of verses in this chapter. Um, I think it's verse 38 actually. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Once again, Joseph's power is coming from God. Joseph never takes it for himself, he never strategizes to get it for himself. He's given it by God. And this is the biblical perspective from start to finish of the Bible that all power comes from God, all power is a gift of God. From the very beginning, with human beings, Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, have power over the world. Why? Because I'm giving it to you. There's so many examples, great ones like Judges 14, Samson. He's going down the mountain and he sees a lion and then it says... Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. The power, the physical power that Samson had over the lion is described as coming from the Spirit of God. It's not some kind of abstract spiritual power. It's like literal physical power. And then there's this amazing prayer in Daniel chapter 2. These are just a handful of examples. This is Daniel's prayer. Just listen to this. Blessed Be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of you. This is the testimony of the scripture over and over and over, is that all power comes from God. And that observation leads directly to another observation. It's a result of it. It's that if power is from God, then power is good. If power comes from God, power is good. And this confronts our skepticism. confronted mine reading this, because I want to get up here and rant about how bad power is. And here's Joseph receiving power from God on purpose. Listen to the way that this is described. Pharaoh said to Joseph, and this is verse 39, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. His power is good. And this is how he describes what he's going to do for Joseph. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to thrones, throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see I have set you over all the land. And he puts his signet ring on his hand and he clothes him in garments and puts a gold chain and he puts him in his second chariot and he calls out, bow the knee. Here's Joseph. He's being risen up to this high place of, of power. And part of me thinks that if Joseph was really holy, he'd be like, no, 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 I don't want that. Right? We kind of think like, and even when we read Jesus, like, what would Jesus do in this situation? Jesus would be like, oh, I don't want power. I'm going to step down and I don't need power. Power is for evil people. No, here's Joseph portrayed as a wise and discerning and righteous person saying, sure, I'll take that signet ring. Sure, I'll take that ride in your, uh, in your Mercedes. That sounds great. Power is good. And this is rooted in Genesis chapter 1. Right? God makes human beings and he says to them, I want you to go into the world and I want you to have power, to subdue the world, to have dominion, to exercising power is part of God's design for human beings, bringing things into fruition, right? God makes the world and he looks around and he like puts up a help-wanted sign. He's like, hey, I want help to run this thing. I want help to have power over this thing. And He's like, I'm gonna make humans to help me run the world together. That this is really what it means to be made in the image of God, to have power, to bring things about, to rule on God's behalf, to make culture. Culture is just what we humans make of the world. We make art and music and technology and business and enterprise, and we make more people. All of this is making culture, and this is what God had wanted us to do. And the next verse in Genesis says, and God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. God gives power to humans, and he says, hey, this is really good. This is really good. Without this conviction that power is good, it's really easy to just fall back into sort of secular views of power where it's very combative. Everything's a zero-sum game. On the one hand, we tend to try and get power to like protect ourselves. It's a very self-protection kind of view of power. There's also just power to dominate others. I read an article the other day just talking about the way that in our culture right now, power is just sought after to dominate other people in every form and fashion. We just want to dominate other people. That's power. That's a secular view Of power, And it comes across as power ends up looking very bad most of the time. But if power is from God and power is good, then we have a third observation that I want to make from the story here about the purpose of that power in Joseph's life. And that is that the power was given to Joseph for blessing the world. Joseph receives good power from God so that he can bless the world. Look at verse 55. He executes his plan. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. Just a side note, really reminds me of what Mary says about Jesus at the wedding. They come looking for wine, and she says, Go to Jesus, whatever he says, do. Just a side note, very interesting. So the famine had spread over all the land. Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land. And that'd be a good ending, but that's not the ending of the chapter. (laughs) Then it says, Moreover, all the earth... Where have you heard that phrase before? Genesis 12, verse 3. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Joseph's power becomes the instrument through which God fulfills his promise from Genesis 12 to bless all the families of the earth. Isn't Joseph's not, he's not getting to ride in the Mercedes for his own benefit, so he can like pat himself on the back and be like, hey, I'm great. He's there because God has brought him there and given him power so that he can be the one through whom God blesses the world. Later on, the world is hungry, the Israelites are hungry, and what does God do? He sends manna from heaven, right? God can do this job however he wants. He could have just said, I need to save Jacob and his family in in Israel, I'm just gonna toss him some bread from heaven. He could have done that as many times as he wanted, but no, what does he do? He gives power to Joseph so that Joseph can participate in that process. It's important to note that there's a difference between the power that Joseph has and the power that Pharaoh has. And the main difference is that Joseph self-consciously operates as, as part of God's plan. He knows it's the spirit of God. God is present in the story in Joseph. God is acting in the story through Joseph. God speaks to Pharaoh through Joseph. Okay, the, the power that Pharaoh has is still God's power. It's still from power, from God. But Joseph actually gets to operate along with God, whereas Pharaoh sort of gets it done to him because he's not cooperating with God on purpose. Joseph becomes that the hands and feet of God, carrying out God's promise for the world. The power is from God, it's just really clear. Power is good, and power is given to Joseph so that he can bless the world. I want to draw that from Joseph's world into our world and make three, three applications your applications. Here's the first one. You and I, as human beings, have way less power than we think we do. Right? If all power is God's power, then everything you have the power to do, you only have it because God has allowed you to have it, and it's his power on loan to you. It can be taken away at any time. Right? You have way, way less power than you think. Anything you're successful at, it's because it's been given to you by a gift for anything. This isn't like just spiritual things. This is like you're a good doctor, you're a good accountant, you're a good lawyer, you're a good father, you're a good wife, you're a good whatever. You, you are those things because God has allowed you to find success in them. It's power from God. There's just, um, I've tried to limit my, my office references here, but there's a great uh, little moment in one of the early episodes of The Office where Michael has to do something. He's the manager, and so he asks one of the salesmen to decide on the work calendar and who's going to have to work on, on Saturday. And, and Dwight just, he absolutely loves the fact that he, he loves the power that he holds over everyone else in the office. And at some point, Jim says, my gosh, this is the least amount of power I've ever seen go to someone's head. <laughs> and there's a subplot through the whole series about Dwight thinking he's more powerful than he is. I just think we live in that space so often. We have we have like we have this much power, and we like we think we have way more power than we do. It's like the, the, it's like my kids in my house. Like I let them make a decision, and all of a sudden their head is like this big because now they get to be in control of what I'm like I can take that back in a second. <laughs> they live in under this illusion so often that they have power over what's happening when. The only reason they can do anything, the only reason they exist is because I have granted power to them. And this is the vision of God. This is the, the father-son re- vision of the scriptures about human beings in relationship to God. We have power because God has delegated it to us. And yet, we are just so characteristically self-seeking for power. I've said before, and I'm trying to continue to say this phrase, that the pursuit of power is characteristic of the abuse of it. The pursuit of power is characteristic of the abuse of it. We're we're tempted to try and strategize. How can I get more of that power? (laughs) Instead of being content with the power that we have been given. Joseph, in every context here, he just sort of is content with the power that he has. He asks, hey, can you tell the king maybe, like, I don't belong here. This isn't fair. He asks him politely, gets denied, and so he goes on with his life. Joseph's not just, he's not in the, you know, in the prison strategizing how he can rise up to take power from Pharaoh. It never crosses his mind. And yet we tend towards that, because we forget that the power we have is the exact amount of power that God wanted us to have. I think we also, there's questions to think about. Where, <laughs> where do we have, where do I have power that I, like, try and hide from God? I don't want really him to mess with... I want to be able to make this decision without his influence. I'm going to kind of hide the fact that I'm powerful over this area and not let him in on that, forgetting that he is the one that gave us that power. Where do we view having some kind of power as a right? You've heard me on this before. I won't belabor that. I think in our context, most conversations about rights are idolatry for another time. But instead of being content with our station, we want more power. We have less than we have. We have less than we think we do and just as much as we need. Second application is you have way more power than you think you do. You have way more power than you think you do. Joseph was a slave. <laughs> he was a prisoner. He was an exile. And God used him to bring about one of the greatest moments of salvation before the Exodus for Jacob and his family. With your kids and your job in our church, with your relationships with your neighbors and your friends, with your family, with your hobbies, God has given us amazing amounts of ability to create things. We have way more power than we think. We have so many areas of influence where God has given us power and says, here, here's, this is a gift from me. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, I want this power over here instead. It's a great, this is what it means to be the image of God, is to have received power from God that then we get to rule with him in the world, to, to be creative, to make stuff, This is amazing. I didn't plan for this sermon to land here on Pentecost, but here it is. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you have the Holy Spirit, you know what you have? Power. This is the beauty of Jesus' work is Power is not limited to, to Joseph, that special person that God gives his power to. Power is spread through every single person that receives the spirit of God. That's you and me. That's us. We have the power of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Like, that's way, way more power than you think you have. And so questions to ask yourself. Where do you have influence in your spheres? However small they might seem to you, where do you have influence that God has given to you? Where, where have you cultivated the world and it's born fruit? Is it gardening? Is it music? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your parenting? Where have you seen fruit come from the power that God has given you? That's from God. That's a blessing from God. That's an invitation to participate with God in his plan to redeem and restore and renew everything in the world. It's worth considering, praying, asking God, where have you given me power that you want me to to, to have? Rather than often, as we do, complaining about the power that we don't seem to have at the moment. We have have less power than we think. We have more power than we think. But the third application then is that the power that we have has to be stewarded. It's it's too hard not to quote Spider Man right now. (laughs) With great power comes great responsibility corny, but it's, it fits with the biblical ethos. Our power must be stewarded the same way as our money. Just like money is neither good nor bad, but it must be stewarded, power is neither good nor bad, but it must be stewarded, right? This is Jesus' parable about the wicked servants who did not steward what they were given according to their master's interests, but did it according to their interests. But if the purpose of God giving power is to bless the world, then every bit of power you have has a purpose. And it's the same as Joseph's. It's being part of the fulfillment of God's promises to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. Jesus used his power in service to others. This is Mark 10, 35, 45. We preached on that last fall. Um, Great sermon, if I do say so myself. <laughs> it's called The Way of Service. You can look it up. It's just lots more talking about what it actually looks like to serve, to have power to serve. But I want to highlight this because it's Pentecost. Acts 1-7. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Spirit isn't for you to use however you want. The power of the Spirit is so that you can become an agent of renewal and witness and restoration in the world to every tribe and tongue and nation. The Spirit of God is not some kind of personal uh, thing that comes into you to to be therapeutic for your soul (laughs) the power of the spirit of god is in you so that you can be recruited by god into his great plan to redeem and renew the world jesus has that moment where he quotes in luke 4 where he quotes isaiah 61 and he says the spirit of the lord is upon me why because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's referencing the Jubilee year when all things are set right. How can you use your power to be an agent of God's good purpose this week in your job, in your family, with your kids? Who are you sharing your power with? That's part of the call What power you have is intended to be shared. Good question is who benefits from your power? The power that you have, however small it is, in whatever context it is, who's benefiting from that power? Whose success are you using that power to bring about? Questions to consider in stewarding our power. But I want to close by reminding you of this this good news that in God's providence, he recruits humans and he gives them power and he invites them to participate. He doesn't need us. (laughs) The, The blessing of Jacob's family didn't for a moment depend upon Joseph. If Joseph had decided to use that power in ways that were wrong and bad and horrific, God still would have brought good to Jacob and his family and to the whole world. And the only person who would have been missing out is Joseph. Right? This is not some kind of go and save the world for God message. <laughs> this is the message of God is saving the world, and you can either choose to be an active participant or a passive participant. You're a participant one way or the other because God is saving the world. But you can either participate and enjoy it or not. I have one child that loves to help. We had a fire yesterday and dragon stones and burning ourselves and it was great. One of my children got to participate in that and it was great. We got to have fellowship together and another one of my ch- children really hates helping and so he doesn't get to participate in that. He doesn't get the joy of being with me. Who could pass that up? Sorry, that was a joke. Just. Whew. Right? But this is, that's the image, right? God's inviting us as his children to be his co-laborers. He doesn't need us. He's like, come along and I'll let you help and it'll be great for everyone. And when we use our power for ourselves, we miss out on that, on that joy, that hope, the purpose of every day, waking up knowing God's invited me to use the power that he's given me to, to bring about restoration and renewal for people. My favorite I don't like to say that. One of my very favorite passages in the scripture is from Colossians 1. It says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. Why is he the image of God? For by him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the image of God because he has all the power of God to bring about God's good purposes. And he's made us in that image and says, Come, come along. Be part of this. And Jesus is carrying out that reconciliation and can't be stopped. It doesn't depend on you, but you're invited to participate in it. And unless we put our hope and faith in what Jesus is doing, we're going to revert to secular and perverted and selfish ways of using and relating to power. God's invited you to participate in carrying out his plan, and that's how he makes it happen. It's good news for us. Let's pray. Almighty God, on this day, you opened the way to eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift, this gift of the Spirit, this gift of power throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, by our exercise of the power you've given us that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Father, we ask that we would be stewards of every part of our life, that we would find joy in cooperating and participating with the thing that you will not fail to do. Give us joy and hope and purpose in it this week. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.